Radio Lucha. Radio Lucha is a podcast project produced by the Raza Press and Media Association. The goal of Radio Lucha is to provide a space for the voices of independent grassroots struggles for self-determination on the question of prisons, migrante rights, mujeres, education, media, community, politics, y cultura. Cuvole Raza is a podcast show of Radio Lucha, a project of the Raza Press and Media Association. We are a show that focuses on interviews and discussions with those that are on the front lines of struggle for self-determination and liberation. We are broadcasting to you from the city of Chiques, Califas. This is your host, Francisco El Chavo Romero. And today is Wednesday, June 15th. In April and May of 2011, President Barack Obama held a series of meetings with, quote, key stakeholders regarding the need to have a dialogue and a debate on the issue of immigration reform. He also held a series of meetings with Latino celebrities and media personalities, along with the Latino caucus. This prior to a nationally televised speech at the U.S.-Mexico border in the city of El Paso, Texas, bordering the city of Ciudad Juarez, Mexico. We will be interviewing guests that are human rights activists at the U.S.-Mexico border region. We'll be reflecting and having a critical analysis on President Barack Obama's speech in the city of El Paso last month. Our first guest is Pedro Rios of the American Friends Service Committee of San Diego. ¿Cómo estás, compañero? Muy bien, muy, muy bien. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Great to uh, be talking to you about these important issues. Yeah, thanks a lot for your time, brother man. And, um, you know, we heard that you just ran a marathon, you know, 26.2 miles, but a marathon with a purpose, right? Can you talk to us a little bit about that marathon and what what the running for your rights uh, effort was about? Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, so yesterday we finished, um, the group of us, there was eight of us in total that finished a, running either the full marathon or the half marathon, and we were all uh, doing a fundraising for uh, two scholarships that we're hoping to develop. Um, we titled our team the Roberto Martinez team, Running for Our Rights. Uh, Roberto Martinez was a Chicano activist who worked with the American Friends Service Committee for nearly 20 years in San Diego, and he was well known for establishing a uh, a process of uh, of documenting human rights violations along border communities that later then was established in other parts of the of the border. And uh, you know, our, uh, because uh, the issue of education has been at the forefront in the state of California for you know the past few years, uh, because the issue of undocumented students not having access to uh, much financial aid, uh, we thought it would be important for us not only to um, be involved in something that was healthy and, and that would uh, send a positive message, but also that would contribute to developing two scholarships uh, that hopefully in the near future uh, will be, more information will be available where uh, folks can find out how they can uh, submit um, an application to the scholarship, but uh, our goal was to raise a thousand dollars, and I, I don't think we've yet met the goal, but we are uh, more than halfway there for sure. That's that's great, man. You know, because como dicen, uh, every little penny counts nowadays, man. And you know, with the process of the tuition hikes and the budget cuts, and 
you know, uh, we're dealing with a lot of, of problemas. And then on, added on top of that, the whole situation with a lot of our communities, you know. I wanted to ask, um, uh, well, thank you for sharing that. We'll make sure we let our listeners know once we get more information, once that's developed on how they could uh, pick up that info and, and support or even apply, right? Um, before before we move on into our topic of today, which is this uh, situation at the border, U.S.-Mexico border, can you tell us a little bit about the actual work that you do uh, there at, out of the American Friends Service Committee office, what your main focus is, uh, what are you working on now currently? Can you uh, talk to us a little bit about that? That way our, our the compañeros y compañeras that are listening have a little taste of who, who we're talking to. Yeah, definitely. So the American Friends Service Committee is a uh, social justice human rights organization that is based um, nationally as well as internationally. It started working in San Diego about 33, 34 years ago when there was an increase in migration from uh, Mexico and from Central American countries as a result of both um, uh, pol political strife and also uh, economic uh, uh, or the lack of economic opportunities. And so what started happening was because of the increase in, of migration and the focus on getting to militarize the border in the early 70s up until the late 70s, um, the AFSC for short, they came in and uh, they started working with uh, folks that were already in the ground, mainly Mexicano, Chicano, uh, Latino, compañeros who were doing a lot of the grassroots effort to push back on the abuses that were taking place along the border. Um, since then, it became an, an agency that essentially documented on a yearly basis the types of abuses that were taking place as a result of contact between uh, federal and local law enforcement with civil society. Um, and then around the uh, late 80s, it established this uh, documentation process that I referred to earlier throughout the entire border, and it became known as ILM, the, um, basically uh, a monitoring project that was replicated um, by various uh, nonprofits and even grassroots organizations that began to uh, adopt this documentation uh, process. In the late 90s, the ASSC in San Diego began to switch its work so that it wasn't uh, only documenting, but to refocus and work directly with migrant communities uh, so that um, it would be those same communities that would be generating the work themselves. They would be their own leaders. They would be speaking for themselves and not needing to have a nonprofit organization or anyone else speaking on their behalf. And that became the project voice. Uh, work of the American Friends Service Committee. That work continues. Uh, we uh, continue to work directly with communities. Over the past six months, we have been conducting community forums and uh, uh, basically uh, on the issue of uh, Operation Secure Communities, on the issue of uh, vehicle impounds, checkpoints, as well as uh, integrating the family of, of uh, Anastasio Hernandez Rojas, who was the the family man, the worker who last year was uh, beaten and tased to death by uh, federal agents along the border. Um, and so it's a way to integrate the family because we understand that he was initially stopped by STB, SDPD, San Diego Police Department, uh, questioned and then booked. And at that point, they shared his information with immigration, and that's how he was essentially deported, um, and then when he 
Tempest's return was when the other incident that led to his death. So uh, make drawing the connections that it's not just about the impact of, you know, here's Operation Secure Communities and it becomes some sort of abstract operation. But here's a family that's willing to share their story and to say, hey, this, this type of operation is so nefarious that, act, that it has led to the death of uh, their family. And so this, this is a, a way of, of, of trying to make this, uh, this case uh, more real for people. Um, and um, the family was also asking for support for a vigil that took place along the border last week, um, which was, I would say, was fairly well attended. Um, so that's, uh, you know, in brief, some of the work that we're involved in. Um, Excellent. And, of course, there's, there's other areas of the work, uh, doing a lot of policy impact, reviewing policy in terms of proposals that get presented, responding to those, working with, uh, in alliances with other organizations to push forward various campaigns, and then continuing to do the documentation work uh, on a case-by-case basis to highlight the types of abuses that uh, continue to take place along along the, the San Diego border with Tijuana. And, and uh, I also recall, uh, I have never uh, traveled uh, myself there with AFSC, but uh, from my understanding is that you also do like border what what's known as border tours where where you take um, anybody that registered themselves to so so as AFSC you kind of guide folks through so they could see for themselves what what we mean by militarization right uh, how's that process going or what is that process yeah we um over the over the course of our of our history we have been conducting border tours and essentially they are a reality reality tour for people who might not know what um, the border looks like. Uh, for many people, the contradictions along the border are um, symbolized by the border wall or the infrastructure along the border. And though uh, I I believe that's true that it's the border wall and the border infrastructure and is symbolic of of you know the, the problems associated with the militarization of the border. And so we. Usually, we'll take people to various parts, groups, students, um, academics, uh, reporters uh, interested in in the issue. We'll take them to uh, three or four different sections along the border and then conduct a presentation afterwards in our office that um, provides much more context than the um, physical border wall. Um, And then that way, people understand that you know, when we talk about border militarization, we're not only talk about uh, we're not only talking about border infrastructure or or the physical placement of the wall, which is a, a travesty on its own, but we're also talking about you know what it's meant that over the past 15 years the border patrol has quadrupled in size. You know, what does it mean when we talk about family separation? Uh, what has Friendship Park meant in terms of the restrictions around it and the limitations that people can't visit there any longer? And so it gives people um, not only a visual perspective of, of what the border is, but also uh, providing them a, a much more contextual framework of border militarization <clears throat> vis-a-vis the, the, the presentation, the physical presentation, the visual visuals that they get, but also a contextual background in terms of you know what the history of border militarization has been over the course of the past 30 years okay so oh, on that note um i want to 
get into a, a short kind of a critical analysis, if you will, a look at this uh, presentation that that uh, President Obama just made at the El Paso, Texas uh, area regarding uh, immigration reform, border enforcement. Um, have you had a chance to kind of think about that and, and analyze it? What does it mean, you know, when, for example, uh, it's thrown out that uh, this is a nation of immigrants, but also a nation of laws? What is coded within that language? Uh, from your perspective, you know, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, a couple of, of um, thoughts went through my mind when I first heard the, um, the president uh, give that speech in, in, um, in El Paso. The first thing is that there has been an active campaign by the Department of Homeland Security and by uh, the White House to present an image that the border is now under control. Um, and, um, you know, to go back a little bit, over the past 10 years, um, there has been, since September 11th, there has been an attempt to try to say, from both parties, both Democrats and Republicans, to say, in order to have immigration reform, we have to have the border under control. Um, and that's been the, the framework uh, that provides the foundation for how politicians are working towards immigration reform under their definition of that. Um, of course, with that what that means for us is the border con under control means increased uh, border patrol agents asking people for documentation, roving patrols when they drive around and stop vehicles based on color of someone's skin, you know, who's driving, all sorts of civil violations that, that take place on a routine uh, basis. So having, um, so then the, the president goes and you know, purposely selects uh, El Paso, which is, I believe, the second most safest city in the in the United States with populations of over 500,000, San Diego being the third safest city. So you have these two cities that are relatively safe cities, um, and it presents a contradiction to those who argue that the border is not are not safe. But the the distinction that I want to make is that when they say that the border is under under control, they're trying to say that all of the measures that they have put into place, the increased number of Border Patrol agents, up to 20,000 now, the increased number of um, inspectors at the port, the military technology that's in use, the unmanned aerial uh, vehicles that they have flying over Texas and Arizona, all, all that technology from their vantage point, they're saying that that's what makes uh, border community safe. From our point of view, that increases the process of militarizing our communities where we actually don't feel safe. Our communities don't feel that they can easily just, you know, take their children down to school without fear that they're going to be questioned about their status. You know, we don't have any transparency when we uh, file complaints against mistreatment by Border Patrol agents. We don't have any sort of accountability when we do file those complaints and they get lost in some sort of uh, bureaucratic abyss where the Department of Justice just comes back and says, we're still investigating, investigating the, case, the case without any sort of information of, of actually what sort of investigation is taking place. And so for so what that then becomes, his speech then becomes, given all that, his speech becomes essentially a, a speech that is done for the purpose of trying to uh, manipulate a potential voter into thinking that the Obama administration has done everything possible to first ensure that the border is secure under 
their definition of how they secure the borders, and secondly, to suggest that that they're willing then to do <clears throat> everything possible to move forward with immigration reform when um, it's being done for the sole purpose of trying to uh, manipulate that potential border into thinking that they've uh, done everything necessary to ensure that um, border communities um, no longer are uh, dealing with any sort of spillover violence that, that they claim has been taking place over the past number of years, when in fact a lot of the spillover violence taking place in reverse, I would say, uh, for instance, you know, the, the number of, of weapons that are used in, um, in violent episodes in Mexico, over 95% of those originate from the U.S. The agent Zapata, who was killed in San Luis Potosí, was killed by um, a weapon that was funneled through uh, what was once a secretive U.S. Op operation called Operation Fast and Furious, where they were actually sending weapons down to then track them to see where they were going to end up based on the types of violent episodes that were recorded. So it's, you know, a contradiction for President Obama to come out and say, you know, the, the border is secure, we've done everything possible, here it is, while at the same time there's no transparency, there's no accountability, there's no real measurement of ensuring that our communities have more dignity, that they have more respect, that they're not dealing with a lack of housing, that they're not dealing with lack of resources for education, that they're not dealing with um, issues of real community security, um, and not essentially what they're trying to manipulate through the types of programs that they put in place, like Operation Secure Communities, which, you know, it's not security for our communities. And so that's, you know, that that's, those are my initial thoughts on the speech. I could go on, but I'll, yeah. I'll leave it there for now. Yeah, no, no, thank you for, for that reflection. I think um, uh, the reason we wanted to talk about this issue is it's because, you know, that, that speech kind of came and went, right? The way the mass media right. works, it's kind of like a, uh, you know, sound bites, uh, you know, a Photoshop, photo op, boom, boom, uh, come and gone. And I, I personally went back and uh, listened to the presentation three or four times. And uh, an interesting thing I wanted to share with you, uh, uh, Pedro, is, uh, you know, like on C-SPAN and particular uh, stations where it was recorded, like even like the official White House uh, uh, streamline, it was it was presented as if everybody was cheering and everybody was happy and uh, it was a joyous event. But then you go on to uh, uh, YouTube, right, and do a search and there's uh, recordings of the speech by participants that were there. And there was clearly uh, uh, dissent there, you know, like, for example, when Obama started talking about the border, like people said, boo, take it down. You know, they started like yelling at right. him. But you, you didn't right. hear that in C-SPAN. Um, and also, you know, I thought it was I thought it was uh, uh, a slap in the community's face, man, like straight out when when he was like joking about a moat. Right. Uh, with alligators mm -hmm. in it. I mean, it, it, to me, that was that was so disrespectful to to the nuestras comunidades. That that's particularly what prompted me to say, man, we need to do a show on this and expose this because this is not funny, man. You know, this is our people that they're talking about and making fun of. These are our people that are dying at the frontera. So uh, to kind of wrap up, compañero, what are your thoughts? You know, you hear all of a sudden. Well, first of all, you know, we've seen Obama coming in 
going to uh, secure the Latino vote, saying he was going to pass immigration reform. We haven't seen anything. And now the that the elections are coming up around the corner in 2012, there's these uh, meetings that they're having now and these presentations that uh, Obama's doing uh, and touring. Do you foresee what is coined immigration reform with with everything it entails, right, that you just talked about? Do you see anything happening, you know, that's progressive or, or will benefit the community in any way when within the next year or two? You know, it, it's really... It's really hard to tell at this point because exactly what you said, that President Obama, when he was campaigning to be president, he made a lot of promises, some of which he's gone back on, you know, the issue of, uh, of torture, the issue of closing uh, Guantanamo. All, all of those things are, I think, important issues to our, our community. The issue of immigration reform, of course, the promise of, of passing uh, immigration reform, I mean, if you going back to his speech, you know, when he referenced the Dream Act and and made that um, flat out lie that it was the Republicans who blocked it, you know, that was a lie. It was actually the the Democrats who who blocked uh, the same proposal that they presented. They did it for reasons of of uh, trying to ensure a, a follow up vote. There were strategic reasons there, but it was the Democrats who blocked it. And so there there is potential for reforming immigration laws, whether um, how they get reformed are a benefit to the communities with whom we work, um, whether they really reflect the principles, um, whether they really reflect the, the, the needs of our communities is unclear. And based on the past uh, trajectory of you know Obama's party, the Democratic Party, where they've leaned to and how they've bent over and how they are um, you know, flexing their muscle in a way to try to get the vote usually means that it's not to the benefit of the communities with whom we're working with and struggling with, particularly you know, on the issue of, of the border, uh, because the border, unfortunately, still remains as that, that piece to bargain out in order to secure enough people to adjust their status so that they can call it a victory and a win, and, and they could they, you know, cross check that box and say they, that they did that and, you know, they, they move forward. Unfortunately, there is reform taking place. I would say it's administrative reform. It's all this, the possibility of E-Verify. It's the possibility of increasing secure communities around the country by 2013. It's, these are enforcement mechanisms that are taking place now that are actually reforming how immigration um, is done at the municipal, county-wide level, and that's not being in, in, taken into account when we discuss immigration reform at a, broad, at a broader level. Of course, we want you know people to adjust their status to feel much more safe, but it's being done. If and when it gets done, it's it's going to be at the backdrop of all this stuff that's already come forward. Supreme Court's decision recently on E-Verify regarding Arizona. The big blow, um, and that sets the stage for even local governments, state governments, to try to take even more power into their own hands in, in terms of how they dictate immigration policy um, at the local level. So there's a lot of, I believe, hard times still ahead of us, and um, President Obama and his administration still wield a lot of, of power 
a lot of administrative power. They could stop the raids if they wanted to. They could stop Operation Secure Communities if they were truly uh, committed to uh, a reform process that was responsive to uh, the demands of the communities, and they're, and they're not willing to take that step. Well, vamos a ver, verdad? And for now, you know, um, we'll just continue on the ground, organizing in our communities, preparing ourselves for for this continued uh, increase in detentions and deportations. Um, we want to thank you, Pedro, for your time. Um, I, if you don't mind, if um, I'm not sure if you could uh, tell us, uh, tell our listeners, you know, maybe how they could get a hold of you, like uh, if they could email you or a website. How, what's the best way to get a hold of you if somebody wants to talk to to uh, to you or somebody out of your office? Yeah, the best way is they can call our office. Phone number is 619-233-4114. Or they can w visit the AFSC website, afsc.org. Then just search for San Diego, and there's much more information there in terms of contacting us through our emails and such. So, again, the phone number is 619-233-4114 or afsc.org and search for the San Diego link. Okay, compañero, and, and we hope to see you soon. We're planning a few trips down over there to to uh, maybe uh, once and for all take uh, some some people from up here where we're at in Chiques to uh, one of these border tours so they can see the reality on the ground of the militarization of the of the frontera. Con eso los despedimos, compañero. Uh, thank you very much, compa, and uh, take care. All right, brother? Ana, pues, muchas gracias y es un placer. Orale. That was Pedro Rios from the AFSC holding it down in San Diego, Califas. All right, so we're going to transition over before our next speaker. We're going to give you a little taste of a, a song that, uh, you know, I fell in love with the first time I heard it. It was over 20 years ago this band has been around. The name of the band is Aslan Underground. As a matter of fact, they're having an anniversary show on Saturday, June 18th. And it's going to be taking place at a joint called The Boulevard. 2631 Whittier Boulevard in East Los Califas. And the song is Aslan Underground's Decolonize. And remember, we didn't cross the border, the border crossed us. Get up. 
an American game Now we're called workers like we've never been here When our business on this continent is thousands so years
a ride that was Aslan Underground's Decolonize. And next, we have our guest speaker, Arnoldo Garcia. He is a co-founder and director of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights. NEAR, as it is known, works to defend and expand the rights of all immigrants and refugees, regardless of immigration status. As part of a global movement for social and economic justice, NEAR is committed to human rights as essential to securing healthy, safe, and peaceful lives for all. Hola, Arnoldo, how are you doing today? Pretty good. Glad to be talking with you. Yeah, thanks for coming on Cubule Raza. You know, uh, we're trying to get people's voices on here that are on the front lines of struggle. We wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your thoughts on, you know, President Obama's speech over at, in El Paso recently. You know, maybe some of the things that you thought were missing or some of the things that uh, aren't being discussed, particularly coming from uh, the perspective of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights near the group you're working with. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, even though the speech qualified as a campaign stop for him, you know, that he's sort of marked uh, the beginning of his of his efforts to get reelected. Unfortunately, his speech just reaffirmed the, the strategies that are being really harmful to our community, the criminalization, um, the militarization, the, the continued militarization of the border, the way he is linking national security to immigration policing and services, and also that, you know, that because he was at El Paso, uh, it's also a, a really strong signal of how he's going to continue neoliberal and free trade policies in the country. So it wasn't very um, heartening to hear what he had to say, even though, you know, he, of course, had a very positive spin on everything. El Paso, you have to remember, is a place that the military is in the border that, we, that currently is known, like in California, as Operation Gatekeeper, uh, the funneling of migrants to Arizona, the drowning in the Rio Grande, the, the use of military strategies and military in the border. It began in 1993 in, in, in uh, El Paso and has been extended to the whole re to the whole border region since then, since 1994. So for him to go there, it was a very brilliant move on his part, right, because he was able to connect national, foreign, immigration, and national security policies in one big stroke. And I think that that's a big challenge that we face, too, is how do we connect those, those, uh, those policy things that are impacting us which means how do we connect the different communities, our communities, because not just Mexican or Latin communities are being affected, that we're all being affected differently but by the same policies. So his his um you know, his promise is that, you know, that we're gonna we're gonna see a new generation and we're already seeing the beginning of a new generation of militarism to the border. We're seeing the, a new uh, generation of criminalization in the interior, new prisons, new new policing, new programs that, that uh, encourage and facilitate uh, collaboration. And a whole bunch of other resources that really put us at, put our communities under a lot of more pressure, and it's not going to be easy in the next coming period. One big thing to note here, right, is that it's not just Obama, you know, or that things got worse under Obama. In a report that we did called "Injustice for All," we noted that yes, the, the deportations really increased in the last year, but the big leap took place under uh, George Bush. Uh, there was like 26 and 47 percent increases in 2003 and in 2006. And what, is that, what happened in those two years? They, well, they began a new program that's ending right now. It's called Operation, uh, Operation Endgame. It's a 10-year plan to build the infrastructure, the policing, the policies, the laws. In order to, uh, the goal of that program is to, be, is to catch one and deport one. In other words, deport everyone who can be deportable. And that's, what the, that's, a, that's a compact that exists between Republicans and Democrats. 
And that's why, you know, you see the kind of phenomenon where Obama doesn't really challenge SB 1070 in Arizona, right, because it, it really is part of, and it's a product of federal immigration police programs. It's not just secure communities or uh, uh, 287G programs. It's a whole program called ACCESS that allows the police and local resources and federal resources to be combined to go after people for their immigration status and using the you know, idea that they're criminals or criminalized to be able to facilitate their deportation. So we're facing a really long-term problem, right? And any any uh, reform that might take place in the next few years, because reform will happen, will be will more than likely uh, happen on the basis of what we're seeing now. It will it only codify the practices. It'll codify the the push right now between states and the federal programs about who's in charge of what in terms of the policing, right? It's it's it's, it's there's a really big change, and that's a, a long time change coming in terms of how states and local entities uh, interact with federal programs, federal laws, policies. Excellent. So so uh, you know we. We want to thank you for for uh, your commentary because uh, you kind of in a in a in a opened up the and contextualized the the reality that that the compact between both parties is essentially to maintain and continue this uh, detention and deportation uh, you know strategy uh, of the masses of communities that are being affected. You know how how is it that folks can um, get in contact with you? Can uh, this report in Justice for All, which you just mentioned, you know, uh, I happen to have read it, and I think uh, it's something that everybody should read. That's working around this issue. So, how is it that folks can get a hold of of uh, the network? The easiest way, right, is online. You can go to www.nnirr.org. That's the National Network for Immigrant Refugee Rights, and all our contact information is there. You know, the, the phone number is five one zero four six five. One nine eight four, and there's other resources there too, right? We invite the community, your organizations, to you know think together and imagine uh, a different future for our communities and the one that's being imposed on us. Uh, a, a lot of things are possible when we put our heads together, and I know that the majority, overwhelming majority of community organizations and within our movement for community based, we're not uh, in agreement with what's happening to us, and at the same time we have to demand the best that we can for ourselves and, and not. Uh, be satisfied with being offered or proposed by by anybody right now, whether it's in Congress or the Obama administration or various legislators. And what we need, right, even without a reform, for example, if we had labor protections, labor rights, if our civil rights were being protected, if the police was accountable, uh, you know, if, if employers weren't exploiting us, all these kind of things can be solved without a, an immigration reform law. And an immigration reform law will not solve all those problems anyway. So we have to just push for equal rights, right, to be able to say, this is what we want, and, and we're not gonna we're not gonna accept anything less because that's our human dignity, our human rights demands nothing less from us as well. Well, once again, Arnoldo, thank thank you so much, and thank you for all that information, and and we we ask our, our listeners to check out www.nnirr.org and check out the online version of the Injustice for All report, which is the rise of the U.S. immigration policing regime, a report that the group Arnoldo is working with just came out with recently. Okay, compañero, muchas gracias. Thank you, and I know you're on your way to uh, continue the work, and uh, and good luck with that, and we'll be in touch. We hope to have you back on our show very soon. All right, now we have our guest speaker, Tanya. Tanya Cole is a regional organizer for Witness for Peace Southwest. Witness for Peace is a politically independent, nationwide grassroots organization of people committed to nonviolence, and led by faith and conscience. Witness for Peace's mission 
is to support peace, justice, and sustainable economies for everyone by challenging U.S. policies in Latin America and the Caribbean. Tanya, welcome. How are you doing today? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks, Tavo. Well, you know, thanks for coming on to our show, Kibule Raza. You know, uh, as, as we always say, we're trying to give a voice for those that are doing community work for social justice, self-determination. And so uh, we want to thank you for coming on to today's show. And um, as I mentioned, the theme is, you know, a reflection on uh, President Obama's speech at the El Paso border region. And not only that, but also just in a greater context, the impacts of migration um, and economic policies as well, which is why we wanted to bring you on. But first, before we talk a little bit about that, can you uh, just introduce yourself, what your role is within Witness for Peace Southwest and some of the work that you're currently doing? Sure. Well, thanks for having me on the show. Um, I work for Witness for Peace Southwest. Uh, we're a human rights organization. We've been around for 25 years. Uh, I'm an organizer for the southwestern region of the U.S. We started our work, um, our work is focused on Latin America and particularly U.S. policies that impact Latin America and human rights and economic rights. And when we say we're a human rights organization, we include economic rights as a, as a fundamental human right. And so when we're looking at U.S. policies, we're looking at where they might, um, you know, not be falling in line and what our ideal is for human rights in Latin America. And uh, we sort of got started around Nicaragua with the U.S. funding of um, the Somoza regime and, and the Contras uh, in, in Nicaragua. And we wanted to stop U.S. Uh, intervention there and, and U.S. funding that was, you know, causing a mass human rights crisis in, in Nicaragua. So we began with working against direct U.S. military funding of dictatorships and of terrorist organizations. But we, after like the, the period of the 80s, past, we saw a new type of violence um, happening in Latin America, and that is what we, uh, what we see as a economic violence. And we saw this through neoliberal economic policies, these sort of free market sweeping economic policies that were pushed on to Latin America. And we're seeing, you know, we know the hundreds of thousands of people that are impacted by direct U.S.-sponsored wars, but really, we are seeing a much larger impact of people in the millions of people impacted by economic wars by the United States as we like to look at it because we see really people's livelihoods taken away. I mean, these economic policies cause death just as much as direct U.S.-sponsored military wars, military intervention. So we've been working um, since then to sort of curtail some of these policies. It's uh, not an easy fight, but uh, it's one that we're continuing to do today. Okay. And I know that recently there was a, a campaign, an effort, a sustained effort to to try to uh, lobby and fight uh, in within within the chambers of, of Congress to block uh, or change uh, some of the the trade agreements that were being proposed. Can you talk a little bit about that struggle you guys were involved in with other groups, uh, oh, you know, sure. the, the, the agreements that were being discussed and debated? Right, right. As I mentioned, um, we started seeing these economic policies and one of the you know major vehicles of these economic policies has been free trade agreements. Um, we saw the first one in Latin America um, under NAFTA, the North American Free Trade Agreement in 1994. CAFTA was soon to follow, including all the Central American nations. Um, now we have, you know, free trade agreement with Peru and Chile. Um, those trade agreements passed, and we saw the devita- devastating impacts of those of those policies. And our concern has been 
historically about human rights in Latin America, but now as we're seeing this sort of like this mass widespread sort of devastation of economies in Latin America, we're seeing the push factors of migration. So uh, we're seeing now an economic economic refugee crisis since, um, particularly since NAFTA in 1994. And so we've always sort of had one foot on the issue of the migrant rights struggle here in the United States. It's like we're always trying to say when we're talking about immigration reform, we need to talk about trade policies, we need to talk about economic policies that always needs to be on the radar and on the agenda if we're going to see a true solution um, to, to the immigration situation. And and so since then, like in the last couple of years, we've, as we've been seeing, the mass attacks on, on migrants here in the United States um, from ICE policies and policy, policies of the administration of militarizing the border and mass deportation programs, we said, no longer can we stand with just one foot in, in, the, in the immigration struggle. Like We need to fully support the migrant rights struggle here at home with maintaining always our analysis about trade agreements and trying to keep trade, trade policy um, on the, uh, in the discourse of talking about immigration in the United States and migrant rights. And so, like I said, we now have seven, well, we have now have 17 free trade agreements with uh, 17 countries across the world. We have never seen a trade agreement fail. And right now, um, we have three, three, three new trade agreements on the table. And it's interesting um, how we've seen a shift in President Obama's um, position on trade agreements. And really, the, the lack of mention of economic push factors in trade agreements is very purposeful, I think, in his immigration speech, because they go hand in hand, and they don't want to admit. He doesn't want to say, on one hand, we need immigration reform, and then on the other hand, he's pushing trade agreements, which are going to cause even more of an immigration crisis. So, and he, yeah, he doesn't want to acknowledge that, you know, you know, our government has created this situation. So um, we're, you know, continuing to fight these these trade agreements. Um, during his campaign in 2008, President Obama said he did not support um, the Colombia Free Trade Agreement or the, the Free to Trade Agreements because of the situation of human rights in Colombia. You have more trade unionists killed in Colombia than the entire world combined. This is a, a growing crisis, an exacerbating crisis. So, um, during his campaign, he said he would not support that. But obviously, some things have changed, particularly, I think, since we had the change in Congress. Um, you know, we could speculate on what the reasons are, but Obama has done a complete 180 shift on his position on trade. He's now heavily, heavily pushing the free trade agreements. Um, he will be sending them to Congress, um, probably. We're thinking it's going to happen this month or next month. They're going to try to get him through before um, Congress goes into recess this summer in, in August. Once we start to get into the fall, um, we're looking at, you know, he's, you know, he's already started campaigning for 2012, but we think the, the more that this drags on, if the trade agreements are not voted on and passed through Congress um, this summer and this month or two, then it's really starting to get into the presidential, presidential campaign season. And he does not want to address the trade agreements during his the presidential campaign. So Congress will not vote on these agreements. So we're hoping to like stall as much as we can and make as much of a fuss as we can about them um, to not get you know pushed through Congress in the next month or two. But um, we're thinking that the president is going to try to push them through as, as, as quickly as possible because he knows they are controversial. Not only do they cause mass migration um, and economic devastation in the countries that, that we have agreements with, which is quote unquote an agreement because we really know we know certain elements of, of um, 
of these societies are agreeing to these <laughs> to these uh these trade pacts as, as more of a, an appropriate. They, they're controversial because they also wipe out hundreds of thousands of jobs in the United States at a time that we you know very much need jobs. So this what? is what we're looking at in the next month or two as a as a big fight to. Eric, uh, thank you for for your commentary. I, I I wanted to see if you could talk uh, briefly about you know we we were talking about NAFTA. Can can you when we talk about devastation, can you highlight maybe some of what that entails? You know what is the actual impacts of of some of these ag- agreements? Um, you know as far as as far as, a, as the economic policy is concerned in, in Latin America. Oh, thank you for asking that because uh, <laughs> the kind of circles I run in, we you know we're always talking about trade, but you know I forget that NAFTA was trade you know passed in 1994, and you know recently we were speaking to a class of high school students who were all born after 1994, so not many people remember NAFTA. And trade agreements are really confusing. You know when you try to talk about the U.S. federal budget, it, it seems like you get into big numbers like that, and it, it seems to get really intimidating and daunting, but. Um, really, it has to do with agribusiness here in the United States. We um, do not have uh, small farmers here in the United States anymore. We have large-scale agribusiness companies um, that are heavily subsidized by the U.S. government. And subsidies mean that we pay money to our farmers to protect their farm prices so that they can sell their products at a low rate. We do this because we're interested in protecting our agriculture industry. The agricultural lobby is very, very strong in the United States. So we subsidize $20 billion every year to um, to U.S. agribusiness companies so that they can basically sell their products at a very, very cheap price. Um, not only can they sell the products at a cheap price because of subsidies, but they also, because they are large-scale mechanized farming when you use hybrid seeds and um you, you, they're able to produce a large, large amount of product, so that also it makes it able for them to, to sell their products at a very cheap price. But what we have basically is what was called um, dumping, <laughs> export dumping into another economy. So we can, our agricultural products, if they're allowed to be sold freely in another country, they will wipe out um, most most developing countries' agricultural sector. Because in Mexico, you're, you what we had before NAFTA was um, small-scale farmers from all across you know the country in Mexico, small farmers that were able to produce locally and sell locally their food. Um, but with U.S. imports coming into Mexico, they're able to. No one is able to compete against U.S. agribusiness. No one, <laughs> even the state of California alone, if it were a country, would, you know, beat out about 25 other nations in the world in, in agricultural production. So um, we are an agricultural powerhouse, definitely, and we're able to just completely take over a market. Um, and, and that's the thing. In Mexico before, in other countries, many countries protect their own industries just as we do. So this is thing we're in a violation of our own, like, free trade model when we, you know, are protecting our own industries through subsidies like this. So, but it is the right of a country to do that. If you want to see the development of an industry in your country, the government can put protections onto their farmers. So Mexico had protections for their farmers so that any it, U.S. import of agricultural product could have an import tax on it, a tariff. And that makes U.S. imports their products at a much more comparable rate as far as the pricing to that Mexican products, so that Mexican farmers or Mexican products can compete with foreign foreign uh, imports. The thing is, trade agreements take away all of that 
right? You're no longer able to protect your local industries. Um, and so it's, that's why we, we say fair trade, because free trade, there's nothing free about it. It is absolutely like the domination of whoever has the biggest business. And this tends to be the United States. So um, that's what we've seen. We saw 10 million farmers in Mexico lose their livelihoods um, because of NAFTA. And like one of the arguments is that these free trade agreements create jobs. Well, in the maquila sector, we saw maybe over a seven-year period, one million uh, jobs created in Mexico. But almost a third of those jobs have actually left Mexico for even cheaper labor markets, you know, like, like China or uh, or India. So, um, and not to mention that almost a million, you know, um, new Mexican workers enter the job market every year. So the jobs created in the maquila sector, which you could talk about labor rights in the maquila sector also, but like there's still not enough jobs. And then we have jobs displaced also in the United States. We had 800,000 jobs that were displaced or lost because of NAFTA, and, and we have the same threats with, with new free trade agreements as, as jobs go abroad. Well, that's exactly um, why we wanted to bring up this, this discussion on, on reflecting on, on, on that immigration uh, speech that, uh, that Obama did in, in El Paso, right, and, uh, which is n neighboring to Ciudad Juarez. And uh, I, have, I actually myself have family in, in, in Juarez and in El Paso, and we were witness to see when the, the, the mass maquila sectors were being built uh, on the outer skirts of, of uh, Juarez, where where um, workers from the south in Mexico and the central parts of Mexico were were um, you know um, they were they were invited right to come and come up north mm -hmm. to to Chihuahua right to that Juarez there's going to be a bunch of jobs and then like you said soon enough many of those jobs were were gone right because they moved out to other mm -hmm. countries for cheaper labor but but left behind and even during as you know was was horrible working conditions, environmental deg degradation, the violence, the increase in violence, uh, in particular mm -hmm. against the mujeres, right? We know about uh, the, the violence that was and has continued uh, to be committed against the mujeres, especially those that were going out towards working in those maquilas. So it just had a, a multiple negative effects. And, and uh, for, for, for Obama not to even mention it in, in his speech is... is 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 uh and and even cracking some jokes uh, i had mentioned earlier with one of our guests about the 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 moat with alligators i, I just thought that was a slap in the face to the to the communities there and to us do you uh do you want to say any final comentarios uh any final commentary and reflection and thoughts about the, this issue or something you want to uh, convey over to our listeners well yes just a couple comments about his speech yeah he says that you know it's not fair that the migrants um that are here in the United States here illegally, quote unquote, have cut the line, so to speak. It's not fair for those that are waiting in the line. And you know, like I said, this is a this is a refugee situation in in the eyes of my organization. Um, this is not about people cutting the line. This is about people, you know, trying to find livelihood, trying to survive. Um, especially, we, we need to recognize our role in creating this refugee crisis. Um, and also he talks about, he's very proud in his speech about the amount of border security and how he answered the call and, you know, put quote unquote, you know, thousands of agents on the border, blah, blah, blah. Um, and how they've improved border security. And one of the reasons why that there are so many quote unquote illegal migrants in the country is because of lack of border security. Um, 
Yeah, I want to address this. We have uh, <laughs> we have 300 points of entry into the United States, over 20,000 kilometers of shoreline, and 7,500 miles of border with Canada and Mexico. Um, and this one, you know, this is a an insane amount of territory to try to cover. Um, and really, like the priority should not be like trying to get migrants coming. They say that you know border security has to do with you know preventing terrorists and drug traffickers coming into the country. Um, and he brags that um, 31% of drugs were, were seized. At the same time, you know, I want to just kind of mention how these trade policies have impacted drug drug production. Um, as you take away people's livelihoods to you know farm rice and beans and tomatoes and corn. Um, many people are going to be forced to grow what there is a market for, which is illicit crops. And so we know that trade also impacts drug production. We've seen an increase in drug production. Um, and at the same time, they're spending billions of dollars on, on money on, on the drug war to try to, you know, close down the, you know, tighten up the borders and, and fund the Mexican military. We have a $1.2 billion military aid package to the Mexican military. Um, which is only creating more violence on the border and really trying to go after cartels is you take out one cartel, you're, you're really just creating another a business opportunity for another cartel. So it's kind of looking at our, our policies comprehensively and how we're wasting spending um, on trying to have a military solution to this border situation, especially with drug, drug production. It only takes 13 trucks of cocaine uh, to get through one of those 300 points of entries or thousands of miles of border um, in order to supply the entire demand for cocaine uh, in the United States, 13 trucks. It would take one airplane of heroin to supply the um, U.S. demand for heroin. So it's really trying to find a needle in a haystack to try to, you know, shut down the border and really and really prevent, you know, the cross the ins and out of um, of people and, and products coming through. So we really not need to look at the root causes of all situations of the migration of migration to the uh, to the U.S. and and drug production and, and looking at the root causes of those things and, and not just trying to put a bandaid onto them. Well, Tanya, thank you so much for your comments. Uh, I, I I know our listeners are are going to be wanting to follow up on on more of the work that you're doing what is the what's the best way for our listeners to to uh, get a hold of you or uh, access the information that you're talking about oh sure well we definitely need people's help um, in stopping the free trade agreements this month or two we need as many votes as possible to get a, uh, to vote against the three trade agreements they're with Panama South Korea and Colombia um, the odds are not on our side like I said we've never seen a trade agreement um, fail we really want to see one fail. <laughs> so we need as many people to contact their member of Congress, a U.S. Congress, to ask them to vote against the free trade agreements. Um, but you can get information on our website, which is witnessforpeace.org, slash southwest is particularly the contact for the southwestern region of the United States. And they'll have my, con- my contact information on there. We can help you organize in your community around these issues as well. Okay, Tanya, thank you very much, and we hope to have you back on the show very soon, uh, especially after we hear some of the uh, you know results of, of, of the current campaign that you all are organizing. Gracias, compañera. All right, thanks a lot, Chapo. Take care. All right, we want to thank all of our listeners for today. We also want to thank our guest speakers, Arnoldo Garcia of the National Network for Immigrant and Refugee Rights, Tanya Cole of Witness for Peace Southwest, and Pedro Rios of the American Friends Service Committee in San Diego. I want to thank our producer, Louis Moreno, and 
We also want to let you know that you could find us online at rasapressassociation.org. You could find us on Facebook. And now you could even find us on iTunes. Well, before we leave you today, I want to tell you about the song that we're going to leave you with. And it's called Criminal by Producto B, a local Chica's native band. And this song is appropriate because we are workers. We are not criminals. And the song that we're leaving you with talks a little bit about that on how we are criminalized for being workers. With that, we leave you with Criminal. Dicen que soy criminal Me ven como un animal En el trabajo y en el barrio La gente ve lo mismo diario Oh, oh, cielo y campo Sangre y sudor Pero este lunes no trabajo Sus leyes valen un carajo Oh, oh, si me llegan a sacar van a pelar yo me vuelvo a brincar toda la migra no puede conmigo si me llegan a sacar se la van a pelar yo me vuelvo a brincar toda la migra no puede conmigo Soy un criminal, soy más que un animal Tengo a mi banda y a mi barrio, aunque jamás pegué en la radio Oh, oh, ciego no estoy, mudo no soy Sobrevivir no es un delito, sus leyes valen puro pito Si me llegan a sacar van a pelar yo me vuelvo a brincar toda la migra no puede conmigo si me llegan a sacar se la van a pelar yo me vuelvo a brincar toda la migra no puede conmigo
mujer se la van a pelar yo me vuelvo a brincar toda la migra no puede conmigo si me llegan a sacar se la van a pelar yo me vuelvo a brincar 